Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's show, we talk to the CEO of a recently listed company in the fight against COVID-19 and HIV, which has Bill Gates and Lang Walker as investors in the company. I see what fund manager Julia Lee of Berman Invest thinks looks like a good investment for the long-term buy and hold player. Fairmont Equities Michael Gable shares his latest charts that tell us where the stock market could be heading. And then we catch up with Charlie Aitken of Aitken Investment Management and Paul Rickard of The Switzer Report to see what investments they think really look attractive right now, particularly for the buy and hold investor. And then I share with you some unbelievable companies from the ASX top 100, 16 of them in fact, where the experts, the consensus of experts from FN Arena think have 40% upside or even more. I'll be talking about that at the end of the show. So without any further ado, let's cross to Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Well, as always, we'd like to catch up with Julia Lee to see what she's seeing on the market right now. And a number of weeks ago, she refused, point blank, to capture or catch falling knives. Are those knives becoming less scary now, Julia? Look, they are, but I do think there's still a bit of time to play out. And really, I see this as the fight between liquidity and solvency. Now, we've seen governments and central banks um, pumping in about 10 to 12 percent of GDP around the globe um, to help support economies. But I think at some point there has to be a refocus in on earnings. So, look, I've taken the time to buy into a few more gold miners as well as some puts to help um, protect against um, volatility because they have become much cheaper over the last few weeks. But I guess having a look at the market, it's seen incredible strength. We're up 20% from the lows that we saw in March now. And in particular, you see it on a day like this when a big bank like NAB comes out with a $3.5 billion capital raising and the market still manages to finish up in the black. So that's good to see in the short term. But look, I don't think this is something that's going to be resolved in a number of weeks. Yeah, it's interesting. You looked at good old-fashioned economic and financial market reasons to be you know, suspicious about what might go on. You mentioned liquidity and you mentioned earnings. But also, is the, is the I guess, the virus threat the second wave if it becomes a real thing? To me, that, that would, if a second wave problem becomes very serious, that's when we might see another big sell-off. What do you think? Look, I think in terms of a second wave over here in Australia, it's probably something less to be feared, given that we are starting to understand more about the virus, the technology potentially yep. will be in place so that we don't have to have a whole country locked down, yep. but an area locked down if we do see uh, fires being sp sparked. Um, the bigger problem is, I think, what's happening in the US, and I think that is a major concern, where they're already talking about um, opening back up and coming out of uh, shutdown. 
And I think that's um, that's quite scary given that the rates of infection um, are still relatively high over there. So, look, I think the US as a large economy still would weigh on uh, the global economy. So that's one area that I'm, I'm watching very closely um, and just watching that US stock market. It's pretty amazing watching the strength we're seeing there. You know, yeah. we're seeing the worst conditions since the Great Depression and the market's 15 percent away from an all time record high. Mm. In a sense, the market is saying, we believe a V-shaped recovery, isn't it? I think the market's saying we believe in the Federal Reserve to be able to backstop assets. Um, at the moment, we've seen strong buying in the bond market. We've seen some buying in the junk bond market as well, which is pretty incredible. Mm. And the amount um, of buying that we're likely to see equates to about 19% of the US stock market in you know just over a couple of months. So... Look, that's an incredible amount of money that's hitting the market. Um, but, you know, underneath that, we really have to come out of shutdown and start to see some recovery. Um, and the longer this goes on for, the, the harder it's going to be to recreate those jobs in a, a very quick way and the greater pain there will be for businesses. Mm. Are there any companies that you kind of regret you didn't get in. Like, <laughs> the, the one for me, which I've already held anyway, is Tyro. Tyro goes low as 97 cents and it's about $2.70 now. But you know, I actually do hold it anyway. But that to me was symbolic of how scared the market was at the time. <laughs> is there any stock that you have liked and it just went unbelievably low but you didn't get in or maybe you did? Well, Mesoblast, <laughs> I mean, having a look at Mesoblast, I thought I'd have another chance to get a nibble of at it when it came back, but it obviously didn't come back. Mesoblast trades not only here in Australia, but over in the US as well. And the US performance on Friday, we saw the shares up 140%. So that saw the Aussie shares up by 40%. And given the performance on Friday as well as here on Monday, we've seen the shares pretty much more than double off um, their original base. And of course, Mesoblast deals in a number of stem cell treatments, but it's uh, one product in particular that's very much in focus. And that's in treating uh, acute uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Mm. This is when the, um, the immune system overreacts. And in ICU cases, there's a, quite a, a large amount of people that, that suffer um, acute respiratory uh, distress sy symptoms. And the initial compassionate um, usage in the US has been showing, been showing some amazing results. So it does look like it's going to go into phase three. Mm. And if it's successful, they'll probably look for a US partner to manufacture and distribute, while I would imagine that Mesoblast would retain a royalty payments uh, from that. So that's an interesting one, especially if uh, COVID-19 becomes a seasonal virus um, like many of the flu uh, uh, viruses that we see um, that come from time to time. That could mean an, an annuity stream for, uh, for Mesoblast. Now, what one company you mentioned last year that made you look like a, a genius was EML, but it struggled lately. Have you formed an opinion about what's going on there, Julia? Yeah, I, I still like EML, but like many retailers that have closed down shop, that's exactly what's impacting on EML payments. They look at prepaid cards, so things like gift cards as well as in casinos. When you win, you can load up your card as well, and obviously casinos <laughs> are shut down at the moment. 
I guess one positive to come out of EML is that uh, big acquisition it had made in Europe. Um, it does look like they've received that at a lower price. But like many things, it depends on when life gets back to normal and spending gets back to normal as well, because it does have a large exposure to the retail space as well as the casino space, both which are pretty heavily impacted by COVID-19 with many stores uh, shut and even some stores shut online over in uh, over in the UK as well because of, of fears around workers in uh, facilities and packing facilities as well. If you were a little old lady or if you were a, a cautious long-term investor looking for a speculative play, would you put EML on your list? EML would be one of them. Uh, I guess uh, having a look at the the, the uh, biotech space, there's some interesting ones coming up there as well. Um, and I guess it, it also depends on how long elective surgeries are impacted because we are seeing impacts on companies like uh, Ramsey Healthcare as well as Monash IVF, which has been active in the market, trying to raise capital today. But it does look like IVF treatments may be back online for the time being, mm. uh, which is a small positive. But look, the longer this drags out, um, the companies still need to uh, be able to cover their fixed operating costs um, as well as the debt that they have. Have and the more capital raisings are like to, likely to come to the market. Okay, so what gold companies have you bought? Because friends of mine have often picked the, the gold price, right, but picked the wrong company. What company do you like? Uh, well, Silver Lake and Evolution Mining have been my picks. They've both been performing very well. I think today on the market, they were up another 2 to 3%. Um, and look, gold did very well coming out of the global financial crisis as uh, central banks look to do quantitative easing. And we're seeing much larger amounts this time around. So gold uh, looking pretty incredible here. Um, and the gold miners are having a fantastic 2020. Julia Lee, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Coming up, we're talking to the CEO of a very interesting company that Bill Gates and Lang Walker have had a slice of. Joining me now is the CEO of an exciting new company called Adamo Diagnostics. His name is John Kelly and uh, he joins us. Uh, we've got to say, John, it's a great pleasure to talk to you. No, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, better alert people who are watching this that my wife has invested in your company and though I'm sure she did her research before she put her hard-earned money into your company, I'm sure she was influenced by the fact that Lang Walker and uh, Bill Gates have also shown an interest in your company as well. So why don't you tell us about what Animo Diagnostics actually does? Yeah, so, so we're a, a rapid test company and we uh, have developed a very unique and novel uh, device that can be used for rapid blood testing, both professional use screening as well as also own testing. And we have Australia's only approved HIV self-test. Right, so tell us what is so unique about the product. Yeah, so up until we came along, most uh, rapid testing in blood-based point of care was done through sort of a chemistry set, a sort of a lab kit that was used in doctor's offices and pharmacies in the home. And those multi-component accessories uh, make the procedure quite complicated. And as a result, there was a lot of errors. So what Atomo did was we re-engineered the test to essentially make a consumer-friendly single device. So instead of a, a bits-in-the-box chemistry set, you've now got a single 
use, you know, consumer-friendly device that's fit for purpose. So it's just made the whole testing process more accurate and more simple. Okay, so tell us what the device actually does. How does it, you know, get access to the blood and then sure. make an assessment? Yeah, it has a little built-in safety lancet. It has a built-in special blood collection and delivery device that delivers to the test the correct volume of blood. And in some of our devices, we also have an inbuilt uh, buffer reagent to run the test. So from the user perspective, if it's, you know, push, push it against your finger, bleed into a cup, transfer it to the, the device, and then run the test. So it's pretty simple. Mm. And it just so, makes it really suited to home use. Okay. And so who are the... The, the most logical customers in the first instance? Well, we, our flagship product is a range of tests for HIV. Mm. And globally, we partnered with Milan Pharmaceutical, and we have an agreement with them covering 130 countries. And they're one of the biggest manufacturers of uh, HIV meds. So for them, a HIV uh, rapid self-test is, is obviously part of their product mix. Uh, so we're rolling out with them quite aggressively around the world. We have other applications outside of HIV. We're working with a, a French company for COVID-19. We also have a pregnancy test that we commercialize with them, as well as some other customers in the US for different applications. All right, so obviously, you know, COVID-19 is the, the big issue of the moment. How do you, how do you imagine, if you, if you can create the right product, how do you see the product that you create um, actually operating and how quickly would it give someone information around whether someone's got COVID-19 or not? Yes, yeah, so we, we work with a French a company called NG Biotech who have a rapid COVID antibody test already commercialised. They've validated that on our device and it's now launched in France. It's got CE Mark in Europe and they made first sales last week to the French Ministry of Defence. That product's already now coming to market uh, at the moment. Uh, the test itself gives a result within within 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, so it's a rapid result. In terms of detection of COVID-19, uh, this isn't a test that will necessarily compete with a, a, a molecular lab test. It won't tell you on the first day of symptoms or the first week of symptoms that you've definitely got COVID-19. But where these rapid tests are very valuable is that they will uh, tell you that you've got an antibody response. So uh, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days after you've had an exposure and you've built up an antibody response, these tests will allow you to let you, yourself know that you've been uh, exposed to the virus, that you've built up some, some antibody resistance. And we think from a population management perspective, those types of tests are going to become critically important to working out you know, who can return to work, who's been exposed, who, who has no antibody response and might need to take extra precautions. Yeah. I recently heard that I think it was Emirates have introduced effectively a 10-minute test for potential flyers. Would, would this, would the product they're using be around the same kind of concept that you're talking about? I think the product there, I don't know that product. That product specifically would, I expect, have a similar technology in mm. terms of the base chemistry for the actual test diagnostic itself. But we're the only company in the world that has the integrated consumer-friendly solution that's got a, a World Health pre-qualification for HIV mm. and is ideally suited for COVID-19, particularly for self-tests. Mm. And, and, and once someone's got a device like this, like who are, you were saying it's consumer-friendly, so I presume like people who, who've got diabetic tests and things like that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's similar, but 
does, does the, the machine itself, the device itself, need to be regularly updated or once it's programmed to do what it's supposed to do, it keeps on doing it? No, it's a, it's a single-use disposable. So think of it as a, think of it very similar to a pregnancy test. Right. Uh, so it's a little blood-based rapid test and it essentially replaces a, a kit, a chemistry set with a single device that's consumer friendly. So it's, it's not reusable. It's a single-use disposable test, a lot like a pregnancy test. Yeah. Well, anyone who's had the great joy of sitting there waiting to see whether it's red or blue knows exactly what you're talking about, John. Yes. Uh, not everyone's always happy with the colour they see either. But, um, all right, so th what's the outlook for the company? Like, you know, obviously you've set some goalposts, some milestones. Yes. So what are, what are you uh, looking at going down the track? Well, we're very, very happy to get the, the listing done this month. Uh, we wanted to come to market to expand our, our production and also to roll out HIV globally. COVID-19 came along at the same time as we were going to market. We have a lot of inbound inquiries. We're in a position where we can, certainly for the near term, look to sell everything we can make. So for us, it's really about scaling up our capacity and making sure that our technology can be deployed globally for COVID-19, uh, while we also continue to uh, roll out the HIV business and bring other, other clinical applications onto the device. What are going to be the big challenges that you as a CEO will, will want to make sure you can beat? Well, I think obviously for us, capacity is key. We, we, we're scaling up our um, manufacturing capabilities quite aggressively now to, to uh, deliver on COVID-19, and that's something that's in process and will be completed later this year. I think from an execution perspective, making that happen uh, is critical for us, and not just for our, our revenue growth, but also for making sure we can have an impact in COVID-19. Hmm. So I think operationally, that's the challenge. Have you, have you had any contact from Bill Gates? I, I know it's a great story when you hear someone yeah. Have you had any contact with, with him in relation to the product? So the, 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 the Gates Foundation, they gave us a grant several years ago to develop the HIV self-test. Uh, since then, most of their engagement with us has been through the Global Health Investment Fund, which was a fund that was set up by JP Morgan and the Gates Foundation and has a number of other limited partners. And they... Uh, are a significant investor in Otomo and their president that runs that fund in New York is on our board. Mm. So most of our engagement with that side of the business has been through the Global Health Investment Fund. We okay. continue to be very supportive of us and, and, and very supportive of the IPO process. Yeah, it's a great story, John. And, and where is the product made? Well, we have all, all of the R&D and development, program management, corporate, all of that's run out of Sydney. So we're, we're an Australian company. And most of the people that work for the business work here We've outsourced manufacturing uh, to a number of uh, uh, markets to help keep the logistics costs down. So we have uh, some manufacturing partner, an Australian company, IDE, that have a facility in China and also in the US. And we very recently opened up our own facility in Cape Town in South Africa, specifically for HIV manufacturing. So we're, we're a global company, but we're certainly headquartered and, and run out of city. Okay, well, mate, good luck with it. I hope uh, things go really well. Not only because you're an Australian company, but uh, the implications of what you're trying to do could have um, substantial positive effects for humanity. Thanks very much. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Well, at these times when the market doesn't seem to want to sell off badly or take off again quickly, 
I'd like to go to someone like Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities to see what he's seeing in the charts. Is it good news or is it bad news? Michael, take it away. Thanks, Peter. Um, look, I, I think our market is still looking pretty good here. I mean, when we last spoke a month ago, we were talking about the market being at, I guess, key levels for it to potentially bounce off. And it's definitely bounced off those levels in terms of the US market, it's recovered uh, over half of uh, the losses we saw over the last couple of months. And what, what that means is in terms of the US market, it'll probably get a bit of resistance here. So the nice move that we've had up over the last few weeks or so will probably slow down, but that doesn't mean that uh, the US is due a pullback. It may well just bide its time uh, around these levels. Mm. Um, in terms of our market, obviously, um, we've lagged a bit behind the US market. I think the banks um, not participating in the rally much as, uh, you know, can be blamed for a bit of our underperformance. But, um, you know, our market, I think, has a little bit more upside. The US may well stagnate here. But the fact that it's rallied um, fairly well off those lows um, makes the probabilities of us going back to those March lows uh I guess, become less and less as, mm. as each day passes. I guess you'd say is that looking at the, the coagulation, if you like, of all the stuff that makes a, a, the momentum for the market, it looks like we're trying to build a base around the current levels and it would be a curveball or something from left field that would take us down a big drop. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we think back to what was happening um, at those March lows, uh, obviously there was just a lot of fear, and we weren't we weren't in lockdown. We just had absolutely no idea where this thing was taking us. Uh, and the big turning point, of course, I mean, especially in terms of our market, um, was when we did uh, basically lock down uh, because that gave us some light at the end of the tunnel. So ever since then, the news flow has been, uh, you know, almost on a daily basis. It's been more and more positive. So we've got to a stage now where, uh, you know, everything's settled down a bit. Um, you know, the, the rate of infections is obviously uh, dramatically lower um, than what it was. Um, so we could start to price in um, where all this is taking us. So obviously our economy's uh, taking, a, taking a big hit. But if we think back to what everyone was pricing in in, in March, when everyone was so fearful, uh, I mean, I just can't see us getting back to that stage. And so the, the chart that we, ha we have on screen of the S&P 500 is, is actually you know, reinforcing that point of view you've got? Yeah, exactly. So it's, um, you know, it's recovered you know, half, of, half of those recent losses. Uh, it, it'll slow down here um, most likely, but I just can't see us going back to those March lows unless, as you say, we get a you know, we get a big curveball. So the problem now for investors is to, you know, you've got to make sure you've got some sort of exposure to this market. If you're still in 100% cash, I mean, you're basically betting that um, we're going to get another huge drop. And you need to ask yourself the question, well, what if we don't? Yeah. Um, you know, there's still some stocks, some pretty good companies that are at cheap, you know, decent levels here. Uh, and I think, you, knew, you know, you need to seriously consider um, dipping your toe in the water. Okay, before we go, give us one name, Mike. One name of a company you think that looks really good value. Uh, Aristocrat. Okay, there's a, there's a fair bit of upside there. Mike, thanks for yeah. joining us.
Thanks, Peter. That's Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. Well, it's that time in the show when we catch up with Paul Ricard from the Switzer Report and Charlie Aiken of Aiken Investment Management to see what they're seeing on the market and how they're going to be investing as a consequence. Guys, thanks for joining us. Let's start with you today, Paul, because NAB's in the news. You've written stories about dividends. You predicted that dividends would be cut. Unfortunately, you were right. It's good to see that you're actually accurate. We hate the fact that dividends are being cut. What did the NAB story tell you today? Well, NAB went a little bit further than I was expecting, Peter, but uh, I guess the, the two parts of the story were, first of all, how it got its provision of about $800 million. That, that's what's taking already. Mm. It doesn't have any data. There's actually been no real downturn in business. Remember, this is a report that, um, yeah. for the 31st so of the March. So the crappy profit is based on their fear and their yeah. impairment cost they're yeah. throwing so into their So they've actually you know, really upped the provision to take account of what they expect to be the scenario. Yeah. So um, that's about $800 million. And they've gone through some... Uh, scenarios as how they came to that, Peter. I think that's probably the most interesting part of the report. The other thing that stood out, you said the dividend was cut. It's gone from 80 cents to 30 cents, probably Ooh. a little bit less than uh, I expected. But uh, in some ways, it's a positive, Peter, because APRA's been putting a lot of pressure on, on the banks about um, whether they really should pay a dividend and, and also having to justify it through what they call modelling this thing through some stress testing and mm. agreeing those stress tests uh, with APRA. So it's a positive for the other two banks to follow that, that now NAB's paid a dividend. It makes mm. it more likely that ANZ will declare a dividend on, on, uh, on Thursday. And you thought and they might not? Well, look, bankers are, they're, they're a, you know, as Charlie would know, I mean, bankers are, tend to be more conservative people. So mm. if one bank says we're not going to pay a dividend, mm. it makes it really hard for the other two. So yeah. I think there's now more of a chance that uh, right. you'll get, you get a more like a 40 to 45 cent dividend out of ANZ on, on, on Thursday and also something for Westpac next week. So look, NAB was, uh, was, were due to report on Thursday week. So they've come ahead 11 days to get to the market first, get their capital raising out of the way, uh, and announce effectively their provision for, uh, so far, what they expect okay. to happen in terms of the virus. Okay, so its share price is around $15. It's gonna to drop to what? Yeah, I mean, that's, look, it, that's, it's been conducted at about a 9% discount to its, its last price. That's why the other banks are down today, because mm. NAB will raise capital of, $14.15, when it comes back on trading, it will be below where it closed last Friday. And that's yeah. why the other banks have been sold off. Well, people have just stopped buying a lower price because they're now going to put some more money back to the National Australia Bank. Yeah. So look, probably about a 4 to 5% damage yeah. in the share price. Now, you often say buying after a capital raising can be a good play. Cause, so if you're losing on the dividend, you might pick up the capital gain over the next year. Well, for retail investors, Peter, there's going to be a share purchase plan. This, this is not the best way to do these things. People are still being... Um, effectively diluted, yeah. but at least retail investors will be able to put in up to $30,000. It will be at a price no higher than uh, $14.15. Uh, so look, they have a fair bit of protection. They'd have to make up their mind for the next month. So effectively, it's a free option. So if you're looking to buy some bank shares and you are a NAB retail investor, you've got a chance to do it over the next month or so. Okay. Personally, I think NAB retail shareholders have been shafted in this deal <laughs> completely. $3 billion of new equity goes to institutions and $500 million yeah. little token issue to the, the retail shareholders who own half the business. Mm. Again, they're being diluted for the big end of town. It's not quite right, actually. And I think NAB, NAB will probably think they're smart going first. I'll guarantee you they deal at the biggest discount. This will be the biggest discount in terms of the, the capital raisings because mm. the investment bankers have told them to go first. Either way, you know, my advice to you know, people who are interested would be to look at the share purchase plan at a 30-year low for NAB shares or whatever it is. 
And I think that, you know, remember ANZ bottomed many years ago and they cut the dividend as well. Sometimes yeah. the sustainability of dividends is actually a good thing rather than unsustainable dividends. So either way, I thought it was a very interesting day in the Australian market today. You know, well, the big four Australian banks, well, the three that traded were down, yeah. yet the market's up one and a bit percent. Now that, that's, that's quite a good effort. That's really. a good effort. Yeah, look, it is a good, a good effort. effort. And it goes to Charlie's story last week about, uh, look, I was a little bit bearish last week, but we kept on seeing the US tick higher. Uh, and people are still sort of looking for this next leg down, but the weight of money, uh, despite all these capital raisings, uh, is, seems to be that the market... It's, it's the it's pressure, you can feel the pressure on reopening the economy, particularly in Australia. Look, yeah. the Aussie dollar's just rallied, you know, six, six US cents, basically, mm. 60, 58 to 64. It's trying to tell you that Australia's done a lot better than many other mm. places. Mm. We're dramatically better than the UK, US, anywhere else. And there is real pressure on to reopen the economy. You can see that the social distancing rules are starting to fail anyway. There's people everywhere out there, you know. Yeah, I went for a swim at Coogee on Wednesday yeah. and like the social distancing was took, think, off the planet. Well, I'm, I'm predicting that the teachers might have a little shock uh, in New South Wales on Wednesday, I think, was the, is the official day back. I would be surprised a lot more parents just dump yeah. their kids back. <laughs> so the, the, the there is a lot of pressure look, to get we, out there, we right? Want, I mean, Australia, you know, I, I strongly believe we should be reopening the economy. I mean, we had two new cases of coronavirus in New South Wales yesterday or something. It's really been well handled, but it's time to ease those restrictions. But the share market will like that, obviously. Without, it will like it, and many of the most beaten up areas, including banks, will probably do quite well out of that in the short term. Now, the big question, Pete and Paul, is, how many of those laid off people in hospitality, entertainment, um, you know, travel and leisure get put back on? Yeah. And that is the obviously trillion dollar question. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we can get some, you know, some of those people back to work quickly, then the share market will do Would you? I, I think there's a very good chance within a month, restaurants may well be yeah, in right that right. situation where half capacity. If right. they could, used to, used to have 100, they'll have 50. If that kind of thing happens, I think you're right. Less people will be on JobKeeper as well. It's a saving to the, to the government's bottom line as well. So Charlie, you're not usually a local investor, no. you're always a foreign investor, <laughs> but what do you like overseas then at the moment? Well, overseas it's still very similar. We like big, large, liquid, high quality companies. That's, that doesn't change. But anything I'm adding at the margin now is something that's beaten up, maybe travel related, maybe banking related, just something that is beaten up and giving me a good margin of safety. I actually recently bought some Berkshire Hathaway, yeah. which is you know Buffett's holding company, yeah. pretty close to Well, it. he comes out, I think, yeah. on Friday with his annual letter, because we were supposed mm. to be there, folks. We were, supposed we were, to be we were there. going to his conference <laughs> this, this week. We, but, we uh, bought four we, we, Berkshire I'm a Berkshire Hathaway <laughs> so shareholder right. already, but he's been incredibly quiet during the he whole uh, virus scare. So just to see what he's been up to and what he yeah. thinks, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, it's not at all. But I think, look, at the margin, we're still running a bit of cash, and but the markets are doing this classic climb the wall of worry. They went from, remember, people just need to remember, Wall Street went from an all-time record high in February to down 38% in three weeks. I mean, it's unprecedented. I mean, and, and if you actually Google unprecedented, the word unprecedented has never been used more times. It's quite amazing, actually. That's what we're in. But I, I think this recovery in the the markets look forward, Pete. That's what I tried to write last week in the Switzerland. They look forward. They can see these these closures or the freezing of the economy easing a notch. Yeah. Now we can't guarantee people get reemployed, but that will be helpful with zero interest rates, huge government stimulus and just some easing of these restrictions. And I think that the markets are trying to tell you that's coming. All right, guys, well, today in the Switzer Report, I went to FN Arena and looked at what the analysts were thinking about companies in the top 100 companies of Australia. And I always love Buffett. Buffett said, if you're going to invest in America, if you invest in the S&P 500, you're investing in the best 500 companies in the USA. Well, 
Similarly, the top 100 companies of Australia, some of the best in the country. And I've gone through it, and some of them have unbelievable upside, and we don't know if these guys are actually right, and Paul, I'm sure you'll question it, but the companies like Worley, 84% up, Lend-Least, 81%, Charter Hall, 78%, James Hardy, 67.5%, Link 58%, Flight Centre 47.4%. Now this is in the Switzer report, and if you want to see all the shows, I, I look at some of the ones that are going up 20% and whatever, obviously more secure companies. But Charlie, on that list, is there anything you think you like? Oh, look, I mean, firstly, I don't really ever look at lists that analysts have got, you know, time. No, no, you, you're so, smarter than that. No, 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 but it's like, yeah, some of that's a bit out of date without putting it, yeah. but look, are there some very cheap stocks in Australia that could recover sharply? Yes. I mean, I think I've said in this uh, interview before, I'm interested in Sydney Airport that's running at about 7% capacity yeah, right now. Yeah, I think Sydney yeah. Airport's at 17% upside. No, Flight Centre post its recapitalisation, I think is interesting. They've got mm. rid of 300 stores or whatever it is. It actually looks an interesting business. People will travel again. Yeah. I think, you know, potentially even things like the National Bank in, this, in these raisings. I think these bank raisings could probably make you a capital gain yeah. and, along the way. So I'm, if it's an Australian-facing company and it's only operating in Australia, I'm really looking for these beaten up sectors that have been demolished by the coronavirus. Simple as that. Yeah. And that's, to me, where the greatest upside lies. Yeah, Paul, what do you think? Look, there's a couple on that list, Peter, that you can see. I mean, I, I think it, uh, in a plus 40% category, I think uh, Reliance, which is the plumbing of, uh, sorry, yeah. uh, taps and stuff in the US. I, I've always liked that business. It has some problems with shareholders or the family selling out or the founders selling out, but, uh, which I think is sort of behind yeah. it. And the other one in there is perhaps QBE is, is really a, as a true uh, global player in the insurance business. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's just because the upside's pretty big. I also caution you about the upside, but I think on those sort of numbers, there's a couple of interesting things. Yeah, and my view is, even if these are out of date and these guys are wrong, when something's got like a 48% gain, if you get 24% over three years, well, that's 8% per annum, plus dividends, you're looking at 10%. It's interesting. The consensus view still remains that markets retest the lows of March. Yeah. I think sitting here, right here, right now, that seems quite unlikely, yeah, or less true. unlikely by the day. So. We'll probably get to the situation where most people didn't buy anything and you know, were scared witless through this whole period and and then sit there and see that they're getting you know just about nil in their bank account as, a, as an interest rate so this could get i still think there, there could be quite a quite quite I, a lot I, more to go I, here. I think we underestimate the global liquidity right there's, there's been liquidity so everywhere. much money pumped out it does have to find a home yeah. and uh you can only put so much into the bond market um and uh, you know, at some stage it'll come back to the equity and market. I think over the next month we'll see what that curveball could be, and that would be second wave infections. If they are bigger than expected, say in Europe, that will worry the market, I think, and similarly with the USA. But that's, that's a, a yeah, big curveball. I mean, that is a curveball, but everything I'm reading is about opening up, yeah. and the markets will like that. Exactly. Well, that's the show for this week. Now, by the way, if you want to see my story, just go to theswitzerreport.com.au. That's the right website, Paul, isn't That it? is the right website, Peter. You've and got you, that and right. And you can access up. that story of mine. I look at the real big gainers and the moderate gainers, all top 100 stocks. You get a 21-day free trial of the Switzer Report if you want to see that and see the analysis that goes with it. Guys, thanks for joining us in the program. Thank you for joining us in the program. We'll talk to you next week.